but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is episode 83. It's taken us 83 episodes of the Body Serve. We started in January 2015 to finally bring you an episode where we can talk about a Grand Slam won by Rafael Nadal. Has it been that long? It has. In, like in our entire existence, we've never had one. No. I mean, Serena's been out here keeping us afloat, really. Winning majors left and right since we started this podcast, but uh, all we've had was optimism so far, and now Rafa has reached the summit once again. In keeping with the theme of La Decima, we are formatting the episode in kind of ten talking points. Mm -hmm. Diez cosas, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not just going to be ten things, because we're going to cheat and we're going to have, what do you call it, sub- Sub things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are... There going to be bullet points within the points. Okay, fair enough. We'll tell you right off the bat that the first two are going to be dealing with one, La Decima, obviously, <laughs> and the second one with Yelena Ostapenko, because those were the two winners. We'll get into that, and we'll make our way down the list, and then number 10, we'll finish the episode with James taking a quiz. Yes, I love taking tests. <laughs> I really do. They're, like, you're a human resources professional now, and you're just taking all the professional tests that you can take. Yes, I'm finally done with those, and now I have to take tests in my personal life and in my side job on this podcast. You want to take tests. I I do. They nourish you. I'm like Lisa Simpson. I need to be graded. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Rafa's out here in these French streets just whooping people left, right, and oh center. Oh my lord. I mean, okay. I never doubted that he would get back here, but I don't think that many of us saw it happening this way. In this dominating a fashion, losing fewer games than he ever has in a Grand Slam getting through without losing a set. Uh, It's just, it's crazy. It's more than I could have hoped for. The person who won the most games total over three sets against Nadal all fortnight was Robin Hasse, who I believe won eight games. Yeah, I mean, I totally saw that coming. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) Dominic team, he got to a 6-4 set. I just, I thought that match was going to be way more competitive. I thought it was going to go four, possibly five sets. I felt very strongly that Rafa would win it, but I didn't expect it to happen so quickly. The thing that I hung my hat on all clay season with Rafa playing well was that it was always going to be so difficult for somebody to win three sets against him. And we saw how difficult it was just to even win one. Like, how do you win three sets against Nadal? Unless you come flying out of the gates and just put a stranglehold against him mentally, right Right. off the bat. And it looked like Dominic had Rafa nervous for about three minutes. (laughs) The first few games of their match weren't uh, super convincing from either player, but 
I don't know, like Dominic throws everything he has into his strokes. So even if he came out and won the first set, it's not clear that he could have kept it going, right? It's like playing Serena, Federer, Nadal at their peak. You have to expend all your energy winning one set, and then you have nothing left. Steve Tignor wrote in his recap of that semifinal that one of the the tactical adjustments that Nadal made against team was to utilize the backhand down the line a lot more, which mm. gave Dominic a different look than he'd seen in the previous matches that they've played this spring. Because they've been by far the two best clay court players all spring, right? right? And that is part and parcel of the bigger story for me with Nadal in, well, yes, there are multiple facets to his game that are so much better. The serving is crazy good. Serving out wide on the deuce court to Wawrinka's forehand. Mm-hmm. How, what? <laughs> like, I don't think I've seen that many aces in that fashion from Nadal before. Right. So the serve is much improved, but the big ticket for me for Nadal was the backhand. Right. The dexterity that he was able to display with that backhand was crazy. The backhand was always solid. Maybe because it got overshadowed so much throughout his career by the forehand that we didn't pay enough attention to it. But I also think that it's become so much more of an, an attacking weapon for him. He's able to open up the court so much cross court with short angles to then just finish points with his forehand. It's, it's added so much to his repertoire. Right. But even more than that, it's being used as a weapon in itself. He's making winners, especially cross court coming up with acute angles, using that right hand. It was really impressive. And I think the other thing with Rafa is that people get carried away with the physicality of his game, but he's a very smart tactical player. And we saw that, we've seen it against Federer for many years. I think when the ser- when he's confident on his serve, you can see how well he chooses where to place it, and also how to construct points on the surface, which is just, is baffling watching it, because... It's like you've never seen someone so comfortable and so skilled at using the surface for all it's worth. Some of the best power tennis I've ever seen in my life was Vavrinka beating Mari in that fifth set in the semifinal. Mm. That was out of this world, and it just didn't stand a chance. And so you get to the final and you think, well, Stan has this history of blowing people off the court, for one, and two, rising to the occasion in these big moments. But Stan, for all his might and try and effort just could not hit through Rafa at all. No. I was surprised by that. This is He was not the opponent I wanted to see in the final at all. I was pulling for Murray only for the fact that I thought it would be an easier final for Rafa. I thought the opposite. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. It's just that Stan is such a big match player, and he comes into finals with so much confidence Do you think that he was tired from the previous match, or that he just couldn't figure it out? No, I don't think fatigue had anything to do with it. It was solely Rafa. It was a spectacle in that final. The first five games was scratchy from both players, and yet Nadal was still up 4-1. Right. And once it got to that second set, and Rafa broke right away, it was full steam ahead. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, really. It's just, it's so crazy to me that he's peaking now at 31, winning his most dominating French Open, possibly. He didn't have to play Djokovic, but 
Djokovic didn't get there. Um, he didn't have to play Federer because he's not here. Team blew Djokovic off the court, and Rafa in turn blew team off the court. So, right. <laughs> and Rafa's already beaten Djokovic this year. I don't think Nole was in any kind of headspace or a space with his game to be able to tackle Rafa in that semifinal. Yeah. It's probably for the best for Nole that he didn't suffer that loss. Right. I mean, people were saying, you know, he hasn't had a great, he hasn't had a very difficult draw, but who, like, give me someone who could he have faced that he couldn't have vanquished playing this well? Who else is there? The thing that, that worried me a little bit about Murray in that final, if he got there, was that Andy was much improved from the start of the tournament. And even after he lost to Stan, Andy was like, well, you know, it's really no big deal because I achieved and played so much better than I thought I ever could, given how I entered this tournament. Right. But still, throughout his two weeks, Murray was able to do things that other players couldn't do that could potentially trouble Rafa. His lobbying was out of this world. Right? Almost toying with players. Mm. He hit one lob over Del Potro at the net. Del Potro didn't even <laughs> attempt to hit it, and it still landed well inside the baseline. He's able to slice, play with the length of the ball. Obviously, his physicality is able to stand up with Rafa right. over a long match. So he was the one that I felt like if it got into like a nitty-gritty four-set, five-set match, it could be a little bit tricky. Stan, I was less concerned about. Interesting. I just don't know that Murray is the type of player who we should be scared of on clay, facing Rafa. I think he's most vulnerable to people who can blast him off the court. But see, I I look at that as more of an issue on other surfaces. Okay. On clay, not so much. Well, there's a very small sample size of people who have beaten him at Roland Garros, so it's hard to make a prediction, right? Soderling was a huge hitter who needed the time on clay, and that's why it worked so well. But as far as other people on clay who's, who have beaten him, there's Federer, there's Djokovic, um, Robredo from way back. Like, there, there are not many people. But the reasons for which a power player would be able to cause damage to Nadal on clay... There are also reasons why Nadal would be able to mitigate that on clay. Yeah. That he wouldn't be able to do that on grass, per se. Like, that extra time that the power hitters have, Nadal has that as well, on clay. So, which is why somebody like Mari was more... Somebody who was more versatile and had more weapons and options was somebody who was more troublesome to me. This is all moot at this point. Thankfully. Anyway, he's at 15 now, which is incredible. 10 at Roland Garros, 2 at Wimbledon, 2 at the US Open, 1 at the Australian Open. And as is the case whenever one of the the super faves in tennis does something incredible, the haters come out of the woodwork. (laughs) And truly, one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen in my life, I'm seeing people saying, oh, well, well, now that Nadal has more slams than Sampras... I think maybe he he could be better than Sampras. He could um, be. He's in the discussion for second best all time. <laughs> and I'm just like. Say what now? I um, suppose in a Trump world where he's president, 
it shouldn't shock me that crazy shit gets I guess said. facts are just flipped on their head. Right. I mean, Djokovic is better than Sampras. He's he's past the Sampras benchmark, in my opinion. Nadal has already done it as well. Nadal like, did it a long time ago. Right. But Sampras had much, much less versatility. On his worst surface, he never even reached a final at he, Roland Garros, he, which is a major. It counts. It bar- he barely made the semifinals. Right. And there's this North American bias against the French Open when it comes to legitimacy. And it was always the case, and I, I picked it up very young growing up, being an Agassi fan, especially being an Agassi fan, mm. because it was always, you know, like, oh, well, you know, it's the clay. We don't expect Sampras to do well. Wait till Wimbledon, the US Open. Those are the ones that really count. That kind of bullshit, right? Mm. What it does count, somebody came along who was able to beat all comers on clay in an era that was not just a clay court specialist era where so many of the top players have expertise on clay Mm -hmm. and who can play very well on clay. And in an era other than Nadal and clay would have won multiple French Open titles. But guess what? Rafa is here and Rafa is beating everybody and playing at a level that's never been played on on any surface by anybody. Clay is one of the two major surfaces in tennis now. Let's be honest. Grass is not a major surface in tennis anymore. Well, I think, personally, I think Wimbledon is the peak of tennis championships. They don't even have a grass season anymore. There's a few tournaments spread over four weeks. There's more of an argument to be made that clay is a more important surface for tennis these days. There's an entire, you know, spring swing devoted to it. And tournaments all over the world. So many players grow up on it. Very few players grow up playing grass court tennis. This is the ninth different season that Nadal has reached multiple major finals. And he did it this year already, Mm -hmm. reaching the Australian and the French. And he's reached a non-clay final every year between 2006 and 2014. So this idea Mm -hmm. that Nadal is just a clay court specialist is absolute shit. Because, fine, he's won five other non-clay slams and you want to say well fine okay that's that's not that impressive but he's also made 12 non-clay slam finals mm-hmm. and who was he losing to federer and djokovic at wimbledon and at the hardcore majors it's strange to me that a lot of the critics would view him better if he won fewer slams mm-hmm. if he won fewer slams at roland garros which is just is very strange to me if the ratio were closer, even if it meant he had fewer total slams, which makes very little sense. The same idea that discounts Sampras's inferiority in clay is the same mentality that has you look at Nadal beating Federer, losing, what, three or four games in 2008 as like, oh, okay, no big deal. It's just mm. Rafa and clay. Right. And the, the sum of that is to devalue Nadal's achievement on clay, which I'm not here for that at all. Call me biased, which I am, but I'm also right. <laughs> the The French Federation really went all out with that trophy presentation, mm-hmm. did they not? Kudos to them because they came prepared. They had the banners in the crowd behind the podium. The podium had 10 written all over it. They had replica trophies ready to be brought out by 
Tony Nadal to present to Rafa. Yeah, and himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were brought in. And spare a thought for those people in the stands who were smothered and suffocated by those big flags. Because there were people underneath them. I would have, Did you think about that when we were watching it? I was thinking I'd sign up. No, but they missed the whole thing. Oh. It was so unfair. I mean, it was so typical of the French Federation. Messy in every way. Now, I'd be trying to snatch that flag when it's done. Can you imagine? Uh, I just... People spend good money on those tickets, and I would be clamoring to get out so I could see the presentation. Maybe it's like a an airline situation where before the plane takes off, they ask oh you God. if you're okay to be in the, the exit aisle. <laughs> <laughs> so the commentators were actually joking before the presentation that, you know, this is France. They take a long time to get everything set up. So go to the bathroom, go make your coffee and come back. But they got the stage set up very quickly and they got that video set up even faster. And let me tell you, spare a thought for Stan Wawrinka, because if I'm losing and being beat the fuck down by Nadal... <laughs> that was cold right? as hell. They then have time to stitch in highlights of Wawrinka losing that match, right? like 20 minutes later into this presentation, and Stan has to stand there and watch it and be like, yay! I mean, that is rough, but that is some karmic retribution, because Stan is a dick. <laughs> everybody knows that there was a story going around twitter from people who were on site that stan went to rafa's unofficial practice court at the time that rafa was going to practice and then when rafa's team showed up stan was already there this happened the day before the final so these little people were like yeah he did that before already and i'm just like i take that with a serious grain of salt because these things it's so easy for signals to get crossed at these tournaments. True, true. I don't think that Stan is above mind games, though. Mm. I don't know. I can't speak I, to it. You know what my, I do wonder? My point is, I just, I'm not willing to... There is enough things to talk about Stan as being a dick for. Yeah. Without, like... Speaking of, do you think that Stan's parents sit with the granddaughter or the mistress? Oh my god. And where do you think his new mistress sits? Like in Suzanne Langlois? Yeah. <laughs> because let me tell you. Uh, Look, I'd... fool me once, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> Lord. No, but uh, I, I don't want to say that I feel for Stan, but he was gracious in a, a rather difficult moment because... This celebration was all about Rafa, and he has put in the hard yards. He's faced some disrespect at the French Open, in my opinion, and and he really earned the celebration. But the losing opponent did have to to stomach it, and he did so. It was it was fine. He had the opportunity to win, and he didn't. So, correct. <laughs> right. It, it wasn't, wasn't unfair. He it was entirely on his racket as to whether he could have put an end to this. Yeah, and he has been a real heartbreaker for other people. Shall we move on to the women's final that happened the day prior? Wow. we I was so close to being able to say I told you so for both the men and the women on this, yeah. this episode. You were damn close. I called Rafa over Stan. And then I called Ostapenko over Halep. That's a lie. 
I called Halep. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I called Halep over Ostapenko in the women's final, which was looking real good for a while because Simona was up a set and three love in that final. My predictions were terrible. That's beside the point. But wow. Like, all I can say is wow. I, it is very rare in tennis that you see a debutante seize the moment like that. And after being down three love and a set, the way that she closed out that match was just no drama, no nonsense. No fear. It was incredible to watch. She was, she was totally fearless, which was the biggest discrepancy between her and everybody else that she played. Yep. Because, and we've seen this with Rafa's career, especially in the down times, where fear crept into his game mm-hmm. in ways that was so shocking for us. And this seems to be par for the course when you become more aware of what's at stake right. as a tennis player. For some people, that comes with experience. Uh-huh. And some for some younger players, they never get over that fear. But Ostapenko seemed to face this tournament like, I'm here, I'm going to play my game that I know how to play, and it's working right now. So I'm going to keep doing the same thing. And with someone who plays so aggressively, you expect that eventually it will stop working so well. She had errors, but the winners <laughs> just kept keep they just kept coming. In the I mean in the final she had 54 winners, 54 errors. It's a it's a good ratio for someone who plays like she does. She had 299 winners over 7 matches. It's, that's incredible. That's 40 something winners per match best of three matches and this is on clay mind you where like the winners tend to be higher at wimbledon where the grass is slick at clay you get a little on clay you get a little more time to get to the ball she just i don't know how that tiny little body hits so hard she did to halep what she did to wozniak in that quarterfinal came back and once The clock struck midnight at the start of that third set. That was it? Yeah. Yeah, You really got the feeling that Simona was done and dusted in that third set. She didn't give up. No. She still played well. It's not... I've seen people talk about, oh, she's too defensive. Simona had sufficient power on most days, just not today. And (sighs) the way that Ostapenko was playing during this tournament... Nobody was really beating her. Nobody was bothering her. Even when she was losing sets, she was finding ways to just assert herself. I think Simona does very well at turning defense into offense and using her frame for power. But against Ostapenko, just wasn't really enough. She beat Stozer in the fourth round, Wozniak in the quarterfinals, Baczynski in the semifinal, before beating Halep in the final. And one of these stories that made its way around Twitter and all the the press and and previews heading into the final was that she was born on the day Gustavo Kirtin won Roland Garros as his first ATP Tour title in 1997. And she herself, two days after her birthday, wins Roland Garros for her first WTA title. The om- they would, that's, I mean, if you're looking for a positive omen, that's it. Right. <laughs> right. She's coached by her mother and Annabel Medina Garrigas, 
who herself is an 11-time titleist on the WTA, winner of two doubles Grand Slams, both at Roland Garros, and both with or Virginia Urano Pascual. Oh, oh, with with the G, thank you. <laughs> who herself was an absolute great of a doubles player. Great to see two female coaches. Interesting that Clay is not Yelena's best surface. Finalist in Charleston. Right. But she doesn't consider this her strongest surface, so uh, beware. Look, Yelena has this attitude like, given the chance, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't suffer fools. She did give one of the least gracious runner-up speeches in recent memory in Charleston. But it was all good feelings during this tournament. For whom? For, well, her and people who were excited about what she's doing. <laughs> it seemed a lot was forgotten. She seems like she's here to do her and more power to her. And one of the things that I take away from this French Open, especially on the women's side, well, two things. One, the women's play by and large far exceeded the quality on the men's side. Yes. And it's not just that Rafa run away with everything. You know, that has, that in itself is a positive for the men's tour to be able to watch that. That's, it is. That is a, a once in a lifetime spectacle. So revel in that. Right. But there's other people playing each other on the other half of the draw and leading up to playing Rafa who aren't getting the job done. No, there were a lot of just flop final sets. We saw Djokovic get bageled by somebody he has utterly dominated in the past. The final set against between Warinka and Murray, I mean, that was just Stan kind of going all out. But it was still disappointing from Murray's end, right? But the match itself, that was one of the few banner matches yeah, on the ATP very true. side. So the woman carried the tennis for two weeks, right? Agreed. And also, we are seeing, and Serena fans, don't come for me, we are seeing that tennis will move on. Sadly for us. People will always emerge. It's happened over the course of decades. Whenever the great stars leave the game, new ones emerge. Mm. And people were wont to label Muguruza that person last year. We've had several people come on the scene as possibly the next best or part of that next cluster mm -hmm. of great players. Not going to label Ostapenko that. But this type of head held high, no fucks given, blast through the field performance, it's it's refreshing. No matter how you feel about Ostapenko, it's a great spectacle for women's tennis. Yeah. And, and this and this is without Serena, without Azarenka, without Sharapova, without all the the star power that we're told is missing on the WT tour. Like which is it? Is it that the WTA tour needs these big names to survive? Or is it that when they're back, we need new players? We need, we need right. fresh faces. We need competition. We need the next generation. The, the tennis that was on offer was first rate. We got a first rate performance from a brand new fresh face champion and Roland Garros sold more tickets than ever. I read and that today. The tournament did not suffer. So right. put that narrative to rest. I, and, I haven't seen the ratings numbers for for the women's match compared to previous years, but from a fan perspective, I think the fans were not disappointed in the least with the women's final. 
I think that the WTA clearly needs to do a better job marketing itself and its own product, as we've seen all year. With the lack of access to watching matches, with the horrific rollout of the new website. Right. So what what does it matter that the stars are out when you don't have a way to deliver your product to your fans? Those are your two winners. Bravo to Rafael Nadal. We will take this with us for as long as we can. <laughs> Until number 16 comes around. <laughs> and brava to Yelena Ostapenko. And damn, girl. <laughs> In keeping with the theme of this episode, where we're giving you 10 things from Roland Garros, those were the first two. The third thing we want to talk about is Halep's missed opportunity, question mark. I have no interest in piling on Simona right now. There shouldn't really be a question mark, in my opinion. This is a huge missed opportunity. And clearly, you can say that Yelena Ostapenko was playing extremely well, and that nobody could have beaten her. But, I mean, I'm sure people could have beaten her. You know what I mean? <laughs> Simona came into this major as the favorite. Not not the far and away favorite, but as the informed player, as the one with experience. And it was kind of like, if you're going to win a major, if you're not going to win a major now, when? There were question marks about the fitness level, her ankle. But when you get to the quarterfinal, semifinal, and she's winning those matches, and you get to that final, and the ankle is no longer a big issue... Like, this is, this is, this is it? Yeah. Because, so if you're, if you're going to get to the final and lose to Ostapenko, you're also going to lose to Sharapova. You could lose to Azarenka if she makes the final, to Serena. I mean, it's just, I don't know how she gets over this hump. I think fans should be encouraged at her attitude coming out of the final, and... Darren Cahill certainly is. She said, quote, let's keep working. Let's believe. Uh, her, <laughs> her suggestion that maybe she wasn't ready to win was a bit less encouraging, if you're a fan. That, that caused some serious side eye for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Because again, it's like, if you're not ready now, when are you going to be ready? And it, I, I don't, I just don't get it. You have the experience. You lost a highly competitive final three years ago at the French against Sharapova. You could have won. You could have been a major winner at that time. You're ready when you win. Like you're ready when you're ready. Yelena was ready. She won exactly. <laughs> so why is you not ready? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and part of my view on this is probably colored by the fact that I was disappointed by her behavior leading up to and during the tournament. Her response to that question about equal prize money was, while I don't really want to get into it fully here, it was just dumb. And I know that sounds mean, and it is mean, but it was uninformed and stupid. She said, I haven't really thought much about it after saying that Jan Tyriak, you know, his opinions are his opinions or whatever. She hasn't really thought much about it. And then pivots to talk about men getting more viewership. Right. But, but then I... That's a fact. But then I don't have an opinion. But then you're spewing this often regurgitated mumbo-jumbo right. as to why men should make more. Oh, it's it's just... It's so disappointing for one of the few sports where women have the opportunity to make as much as men in professional yes, sports. The most popular women's sport in the world. The counter-argument is that she comes from a culture in Romania with 
such regressive sexism and rampant misogyny that she's it's like some kind of Stockholm Syndrome situation. Or, I mean, she just doesn't come from the same sort of Western feminist culture that that a lot of us grew up in, right? That we shouldn't have the same expectations culturally of Simona because of where she comes from. And you and I have talked about this privately. I think that we definitely need to understand players within their cultural context, but there is a point where this becomes paternalistic, where it becomes... Hand-holding. Right. Where we can look at somebody from Eastern Europe or from anywhere else in the world and say, oh, well, they don't think like us because this, this, and this. It it can be a little condescending. <laughs> because, to be honest, do we really know that much about Romanian culture, you and I? Or, or the people defending her on those grounds? But also, she's coming off the Fed Cup situation with Nastasi. The Tyriac stuff is not new. Equal prize money stuff is not new. It wouldn't have been the first time she'd been asked about this. Multiple articles have been written about it. The The faces of the journalists who are asking these questions are the same. Let's be real. Right. Like, it, it would not have been her first exposure to this issue. So a more curious person and a person more intent on giving a thoughtful answer and being prepared would have been able to navigate that better. Right. Right? My only thing is that it was a curious time to be asking the question after she had just won her semifinal. And I think part of that happened because after she won the semifinal or quarterfinal, she was then watching one of the men's matches with Tyriac, and she was sitting beside Tyriac, and then there was uh, Komenichi in the box as well. It was the big Romanian contingency Mm. all out watching this men's match. So I'm assuming that that's where... That's how that came about. Yeah, I mean, they're all very close. I think for someone in her position, she's considering, uh, do I really alienate this group of people from my country who are my friends and possibly my patrons? And her biggest supporters. Just to make some people in North America happy that you are in favor of equal prize money. But at the same time, I think about players today reaping the benefits of a fight that other people fought for them. Mm-hmm. And that's the other context. Right. So Venus was out here risking her neck during her prime fighting for equal prize money at Wimbledon. And she's out here playing on court 18 to this day. Billie Jean King she, starting the WTA tour, the first woman's tour in the early seventies, trying to get the tour off the ground. <laughs> right. Right. And, and then beating Bobby Riggs, that big spec, like all that's happened to get women where they are in this one sport that has a chance to be uniformly equal with men in professional sport. And you have the favorite of the French Open, one of the top players in the world, giving such a clueless and unengaged response to this question. That's where the disappointment comes from. Yeah. Like, not everybody has to be an activist, but answering that question better is is kind of the least that you can do. You don't have to be Martina Navratilova, who also was from the Eastern Bloc, gave up her country, possibly, I mean, defected thinking she may never see her family again, and then was forced to come out as a lesbian during the 80s. Like, you don't have to be Martina. She was 
courageous to the max. But to show deference to women who fought for this sport to even exist, I don't know. Or to even give an impression that you're aware that it happened. Right. Uh, it was... Let's move on from that, but it was just... <laughs> I know, I said we were going to get into uh, it, but... It's a missed opportunity on many levels for Simona. Yeah. That said, she's up to number two in the world. Another missed opportunity, number one. She could have been number one <laughs> with winning you're that really, tournament. You're really rubbing salt in the wound. It was, uh, in a lot of ways, a disastrous result, losing that final for her. That she's able to take the positives from it immediately after, kudos to her. And being able to put this behind her going forward. But there was a lot. Yeah. A lot going I on think for her. This this loss could be devastating to a player in a different mental space. But Darren Cahill up and left her earlier this year. And he talks about that. And he she demonstrated a change in attitude. And they started working together again. And he's very happy, apparently. Positive. Number two in the world. Career high. And number one in the road to Singapore. So, we'll see what you have coming our way next, Simona Halep. Number four, Lost at Sea, Novak Djokovic. Man, that was baffling. I don't even know, like, I don't know what to glean from his performance. He he struggled against Diego Schwartzman. Uh, I mean, his performance against team was just... Like, who was that? Dominic played a great, great match, but, ah, like, you're Novak Djokovic. Listen, I said to you in the preview episode that it felt to me that this Agassi-Lacoste rollout at the same time ahead of Roland Garros, the year anniversary of him finally getting that career Grand Slam, and also what is pointed to as the start of this decline, right? Mm. That this was an attempt to throw all the eggs into the basket in hopes that it would all kind of magically coalesce into a newer and better Djokovic, mm. like a return to form. And it didn't. It was a spectacular combustion <laughs> in the quarterfinal because we've never seen that from Djokovic in a third set. It will A, to lose in straight sets. That's one thing. Mm. To lose... To Dominic Team, the second best player in clay this year. Not that, not that crazy an idea, to be real. But to then get to the third set and be bageled. That's, and to that's not, what was shocking about it. And to have people questioning, what well, is he giving effort? Is he even trying? Like after just two sets of playing against Dominic Team, like mm. what is this life? Which is something you could never say about no, Djokovic like, say over what, the past six years. Whatever you want about Djokovic. If you're not a Djokovic fan, mm -hmm. you can never accuse him of not trying. He's always tried and given everything he had. And that just looked like there was nothing left mentally, physically. And in his post-match press conference, he says, well, the match was decided in the first set. Say what now? But like, who are you? That's just... Novak is somebody who is so dangerous when facing breakpoints and match points even. We talk about all the time. Just last week, we we're saying, well, Novak is that type of player that even if he looks totally out of it, mm -hmm. he can just flip it on like that. Yep. And he's back. And it was, 
I my I woke up and I saw the end of that match and my jaw was just on the floor for the rest of the day. It was yeah. just crazy. And but the press conference was almost as surprising as the match to me, saying like you said that he felt it was decided in the first set. I know that kind of the Agassi coaching partnership is going to take time. And uh, clearly like it wasn't going to change everything about his game and his mentality in just a week. But I thought that it would kind of spark something. Like you said, his hope was that it would just build a little mojo, a little confidence, and he could carry that through into some better play. I'm honestly surprised that it didn't. Who was in his box? Some pe- people were saying that he had nobody to play for mm. in that match. I guess he had already left Roland Garros at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I I have no answers for this. Even fewer answers than I had before. <laughs> I'm just going to watch this play out and see what happens and honestly hope that Novak is able to to write himself mentally because that's that's where probably where he's struggling most and that's not a pleasant thing to watch for anybody. Mm. Number 5, Dominic Team. So this is mine. Now, I don't want to sound pessimistic here because Dominic had a great clay season. He didn't win any titles, but he did show himself to be the second best player on the on the season. But again, he finishes in the same spot. He loses in the semifinals, this time to Rafael Nadal, but again to the eventual champion. Again in and, straight sets. Right. Went out rather meekly to the eventual champ. And I I kind of wonder, well, how you feel, but also how he feels <laughs> after this, this French Open. He... I think it's clear that he's made strides, that he's a better player than he was last year, but he doesn't really have the points to show for it. I think he's clearly better than he was last year, Mm -hmm. and his performance against Rafa was much better than he was against Nole last year. He was much more engaged. I also think he came up against a better opponent than Novak was last year as well. Mm. And I don't think you should look to extrapolate too much from this loss for Dominic. Okay. It's clear yeah. that he's not quite at that top level yet. If he had won, he would have been. His time, he's still got time. <laughs> right. I think he's physically stronger. He's growing mentally. He's learning how to, well, maybe not conserve. <laughs> because we saw that performance against Djokovic in Rome. But I think a, something that he has to be careful about is... Physically, he seems to throw everything into his strokes, and he has power, but it looks like it takes a lot of work. And I wonder if he can learn to use his body better over the long term. I think what will serve him really well is if at some point he gets into a grueling five-set match with one of these top players and is able to win. Right. That's something that these young players need. These old players need. Rafa needed to beat... Zverev in, in Australia. Right. He needs to beat Dimitrov again in Australia to get back those feelings. Like yep. these are, these are the confidence building wins that, that helps players. Great. You beat Djokovic in straight sets in the quarterfinals, but then you're faced with the task of beating Nadal over five sets playing the way he was. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to do it in straight sets. You're just not. So, I don't know. Right. So, are you confident that you could last five sets? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how then does that reflect in the, your game and the way that you play? 
you're then not going for broke all the time. Mm -hmm. You're able to construct points better, get into the strategy of the match rather than just full-on blasting all the time. These are the things that will come with time for him, I think. Numbers six and seven are a bit of a cheat because there are many things within a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Number six is WTA, etc. And number seven is ATP, etc. Within the WTA, etc., we're going to start with the French drama and Kiki Mladenovic. First up. I I thought that this was going to be Kiki's Star is Born moment. As you know, I predicted her to make the final and lose to Svitolina, so you all know exactly how my predictions went. Just terrible from start to finish. But... It seems like her long matches, her injury, everything just caught up to her. She also came up against a game opponent in Baczynski. She sure did. Baczynski, who's so comfortable on the surface and was playing really well, can give you a million different looks. Um, (laughs) It was kind of funny to me to watch Mladenovic and Garcia finish at the same exact stage in this tournament. Mladenovic getting so much more press because of her personality, but also because of the type of wins, beating defending champ Muguruza. But Caroline Garcia quietly, on the other side of the draw, made it to the quarterfinals as well, and beat somebody who had previously cyber-bullied her, Alizé <laughs> Cornet, in a shockingly low-drama match. They, there was even a kiss at the net at the end. And then Cornet had to be all shady again in press afterwards, saying, yes, it was a kiss. It was a bit of a cold kiss, but, you know, I was surprised she kissed me. She said it was the coldest kiss of her life. Yeah. Like, girl, But take your straight sets loss and go home and practice or something. Like, to be fair, she did say she was happy that yes. they could be mm-hmm. cordial. Yeah, basically. but, like, this aside, this snide aside, it's the, co- the coldest kiss of my life. Right. Uh, it's typical of her. It's petty. Karolina Pliskova, better than expected. Uh, yeah, that's for damn sure. She seems to be playing not good tennis a lot and reaching <laughs> far in tournaments. Which is really what you need to do. Yeah. If you want to win big, like week in and week out, right? So at some point, if she finally clicks and starts playing amazing tennis, like she did at the US Open last year, watch out, because she's now at a point where she can draw on intangibles to get through those Mm -hmm. matches and advance i mean she's reaching the semis at the french not sliding just kind of standing around blasting balls on clay like what can she do on grass at hard courts especially at the u.s open well grass may be trickier for her with with the being so tall and not bending because she doesn't (laughs) she don't really bend no she don't but her power may be Big enough to get her Mm. a Wimbledon title. She too had the missed chance for number one. Had she beaten Halep in that three-set semifinal, she would have been number one. Right. I don't really see that as a missed chance because her performance here was such a pleasant surprise. Yeah, but then you're down a set, you win the second set, and then you're in the third. It's there. It's a few games away. (laughs) But Halep was supposed to win that match. That said, it is inevitable that Pliskova will be number one sometime it this is summer. It is inevitable. Because Kerber is defending finals points at Wimbledon, and Halep is defending quarterfinals points at Wimbledon. So it's entirely 
possible and likely that Pliskova will get there before... Well, she has to do it, really, before Cincinnati. Yeah. Because she has a, <laughs> She's defending. a title at Cincinnati, a final at the US uh-huh. Open. No, I agree. I think she will get number one this but summer. I don't know for how long. It's set up perfectly for her to get to number yes. one in the next couple of weeks. We have a new coach aboard the Coco Vandeweghe train. Who? Her. Colleen? Her. <laughs> her. Yeah. So I predicted that it was going to be Jan Michael Gamble because they're like besties on Instagram. But it is renowned Australian asshole Pat Cash. Uh-huh. So good for y'all. Have fun together. You're you're doing amazing. The tennis the tennis podcast was really trying to troll us today, saying that with Pat Cash by her side, she could definitely make the Wimbledon final. I'm like, say what now? Who why are you trying to provoke us like this? I don't really have anything to add on that front. I do want to talk about that tennis magazine cover though. Uh was that supposed to be her? No joke. I'm on TweetDeck. And I, my feed is updating, and I keep seeing this magazine cover. I'm like, why Why is Anna Ivanovich on the right. cover of Tennis Magazine right. right now? I mean, she just had a retirement ceremony, I get that, but like... And then I look, and I was like, the best chance at winning Wimbledon? Like, who? who is that? Yeah. And then you click on it, and it's the most obscure angle, the most intense Photoshop... It was rude. It was rude to her. It was rude to us. Disrespectful as fuck to Venus. <sighs> Girl. Bye. I d- Let's just move on. I don't know who you're trying to sell this magazine to, but, like, who's buying that? Uh, speaking of Girl Bye, Sharapova is out of the grass season, so this comeback has really gone to shit for her. I was actually just remembering something that I said on previous podcast this year, when Serena announced her pregnancy, I said that Sharapova just steps in shit and comes out smelling like roses. And again, my predictions are rubbish this year, because (laughs) this comeback did not go as I expected. I thought she would be challenging seriously for the French Open title. And now she's out of Wimbledon. It's just crazy to me. With a muscle tear, right? And all that we went through with this wild card bullshit. I know. How much breath I wasted on that. Totally for naught. Well, Except now we're going to have to go through it again. Just please, USTA Twitter account. Right. Tell us what you're going to do. Stop showing up in my mentions uninvited. <laughs> <laughs> you must know by now that you are the ridicule of tennis Twitter. Have some use. I think the person... Make yourself useful. I think that US Open account, that person is being paid by the word. Just please, put it to rest, announce very early if you're going to be giving a wild card or not. Because yeah. we don't need to go through we this again. We can't do this again, and we're not going to do it again. No. Number seven, ATP, etc. Andy Murray shocked and awed with a, an impressive run to the semifinals. And shocked and awed? Yeah. he played like utter garbage for this entire almost the entire season which he he admitted i was surprised at his performance i was surprised at his performance against stan they put in a great match um i think 
he's probably really happy with his performance. Yeah, he's in a good position to repeat and or just do well again at Wimbledon. Right. Rafa, you mentioned, is within striking distance of the number one ranking. Probably later in the summer, toward the fall, because he has no points to defend then. But Andy could develop a stranglehold on this ranking if he plays well over the summer. Andy? Yeah. He... This is the time last year when he just started to win tournaments. Yes. So he has Wimbledon to defend. He has um, a million points to defend through the end of the year. Like, he would, he would have to be winning, like, six or seven tournaments, and Rafa not winning tournaments for him right, to keep not, number one. Right, but not to the end of the year. I think through the summer, he can hold on if he plays well. Yeah, but he used Stranglehold. Oh, okay. Then, no, that was a poor choice. <laughs> stranglehold, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Rafa is 2,605 points behind Andy. So you do the math, a simple thing like Andy losing first round at Wimbledon, very unlikely, and Rafa making the semifinals, he's number one. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. Are unlikely scenarios. But it's mathematically possible at Wimbledon mm-hmm. now. Stan is on track for his career Grand Slam at Wimbledon. His what now? His career Grand Slam. I respectfully disagree. I'm not saying <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, we well, use that on track. On track, given his history. Australian Open 2014, French Open 2015, US Open 2016. You have to think that a slam is coming in 2017 now. And he's won a different one each of those years, so possibly. And he's taken the step to hire Paul Anacone to join his team with Magnus Norman to prepare him specially and specifically for Wimbledon. Well, if he is willing to fight for it, good for him. I think it's definitely an uphill battle, especially if Federer is back playing well. Like, I do not see it happening. Charlie Rose thought like, oh, you only got Wimbledon left. You're going to do it, girl. (laughs) And tennis fans were like, okay, it is a a big mountain to summit. I believe his best result there is a quarterfinal. But hey, what is it? Fail, hard, try, better... Jump off a cliff, I don't know. <laughs> Fail better. <laughs> it's he's he's aiming for he's trying for it at least. Yes. On to number eight on our list. Likely our most expansive segment on doubles we've ever done on the podcast. <laughs> and this is our Canadian content portion of the broadcast. Canada has its first female Grand Slam champion. Say what? It's not Jeannie Bouchard. Nor Milos Raonic. It is Gabriela Dabrowski from Ottawa. She won the mixed doubles titles with Rohan Bopana, and they beat uh, Farah and Grunfeld in the final, which is a great doubles pairing. And mind you, uh, my Twitter pal, Jenny Dinger, she reached out and asked, how is it that we have not included Robert Farah on our tennis hottie list? I follow him on Instagram, so I'm well aware of him, and it is a huge oversight. I apologize. Now I've seen the light. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's no joke. He is generous with his Instagram tweets, too. So, Dabrowski and Bopana also beat Mirza and Dodig in the quarterfinals, and they beat uh, Lavachkova and Roger Vaseline in the semis. So these are... This is a draw full of great doubles players. I did a little reading and a little social media stalking of Dabrowski preparing for the segment, 
like I said, she's from Ottawa. She's 25. She has been out here for a long time just doing things the hard way. You know, she didn't grow up in the academies. They didn't send her to Florida to the Everett Academy. Her parents worked. Her father traveled with her internationally while mom stayed home and, you know, was the breadwinner in the family. And for a period in her 20s, she couldn't afford a coach. She was booking her own travel, planning her own accommodations, doing her own laundry, (laughs) one article pointed out. She's just, uh, she's somebody who exemplifies what a lot of tennis players have to do if they want to build a career in this sport, if they're not top, say, 40 players year in and year out. It's a tough sport, and she has really worked hard, and congratulations to her. We also have another Canadian Grand Slam champion in Bianca Andreescu, who won the French Open Juniors doubles to back up her Australian Open Junior doubles title this year. Yes. She's one of those who's talked about as the bright spots in Canadian tennis future. Mm. So kudos to her as well. And Dabrowski's Twitter is chock full of progressive politics, <laughs> which of course I appreciate. A lot of retweets that really speak to me. So I'm a, you have made a fan. The Santina days are long gone. They sure are. Uh, Mirza has been struggling since the split with Hengis. Initially, Sanya went on to play with Barbara Streetsova. She's now playing with Shvedova, and they've not had the results that Hingis has had with Chan, because Hingis and Chan have been winning pretty much everything this spring. And while they didn't get the job done at the French Open, their trajectory is much higher than <laughs> Sanya right now. And what's what's at play in women's doubles is the dominance of Team Busi. Bethany Maddock, the number one doubles player, and Lucy Shavasheva, who again won a Grand Slam doubles title, their third in a row, US Open last year, Australian Open, French Open, and come Wimbledon, they will be going for the non-calendar year Grand Slam. The Boosie Slam? Is that what they're calling it? That's the first time I've heard of it. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> I'm feeling this strange emotion of being happy for one of them, and unhappy for the other (laughs) can you tell which i'm talking about you just want some answers about that doping issue with bethany do i want answers because i feel like i know the answer it was an attempt to cheat legally that's all it was it was an attempt to use steroids but get a therapeutic use exemption for it she didn't get the exemption case closed yeah but it's not being talked about it's Mm. not being addressed by her it's no comment there's no comment that Meanwhile, we're getting the platitudes and the, the, the praise and all the pomp and circumstance that comes with being one half of the best doubles team in the world. Right. And she beat Petra. So, no, I'm not happy for her. <laughs> and the thing is, in the final, they played Aussie Sweethearts, Casey Delacqua, and Ash Barty, who... I, along with many, many other people, were so happy to see them in a final again in their, what, fourth Grand Slam final? Yes, together. It was Casey's seventh Slam Doubles <sighs> final, and she's mm-hmm. 0-7 now. Whoa. And You consi- can turn this around. Consider, too, that Casey is coming off of having to deal with the Margaret Court bullshit 
This would have been a nice ending to her yes. Fortnite, right? Yes. And it didn't happen. I mean, they did run up against the current best team in women's doubles. But having had their success together back in 2013, Ash Barty is now back on the tour for well over a year now. They've established themselves again as one of the top doubles teams, and they're a joy to watch and support, really. Right. They're a team you can get behind, put it that way. A team that I cannot get behind is Michael <laughs> Venus and and Ryan Harrison. Uh, yeah, the wrong American won. <laughs> so we had two Americans in the men's doubles finals, Ryan Harrison and Donald Young. Donald Young played with Santiago Gonzalez. They lost to the Kiwi and American combo of Venus and Harrison. I th- think it's safe to say those were both surprising men's doubles yes, finalists. Yes, it was a slaughterhouse for all the seeds at Roland yes. Garros in the men's doubles this year. Also, it would have been very nice for Donald Young to have this victory mm. after all he's been through in his career. But this continues to be the year of Harrison. Yeah, top God, 50. God is smiling on the alt-right. Tennis Sangren is in the top 100 now in mm. singles. Like Coco got a brand new face. <laughs> My God. I mean, Jesus loves you. Number nine, rankings watch. What are the permutations coming out of... The f- I was really bad at probability in math, so please don't use that word. It's There's no probability involved. It's right there on the paper. You just read it out. Don't you remember permutations? That P... Oh, God. That was the only math test I ever failed. And I failed, like, really bad. Okay. So, <laughs> that was triggering for you, clearly. Yes. What are we looking at after Roland Garros? What are we looking at? Kerber cannot give this number one ranking away. I think she really would like to shed it and just keep it moving, but it just keeps coming back to her. And it keeps haunting her. <laughs> it sure does. Serena's still in the top four. She's number four. Svitolina's at five. I think that's where she started the tournament, right? Yeah. Yes. So Kerber one, Halep two, Pliskova three. All three of those women having the chance to be number one at the end of the tournament. And it's it's Kerber who backends into it. <laughs> right. <laughs> number four, Serena. Five, Svitolina. Six, Sibylkova. Seven, Wozniacki, who I saw this little video thing going on mid-tournament where she gave an interview, a TV interview, and she was asked, what's the actual pr- pronunciation of her name? Mm. And apparently some like, it's like uh, Wozniakska or something like that. Okay. It's Polish, right? Yeah. And number eight, Kanta, who I guess is just content, like, taking the clay season off. She's and keeping not a- content. <laughs> Stop this. Stop this madness. <laughs> She's what she's the epitome of trial. I know, I know. You're being that, very mean spirited. That's unfair. <laughs> you do not need to. Ha- don't put me in the position of being the defender of a Venus Slayer. Okay. Right. On the men's side, we talked about Murray and Rafa being number one and two. The big story is that Novak Djokovic is not in the top three. The first time since October two thousand nine. That's and almost eight years he's of being been in, in the, the top, top three. And he's been in the top two for quite a big chunk of that as well. And lurking right behind him is Federer at number five, who with nothing to defend after Wimbledon. Yeah. 
top four could be in the rearview mirror for Djokovic. In short order. That's a scary thought. Roger Federer is ready to tap dance to number two. And possibly number one, if things go his way. Well, possibly the big story of the fall will be the race for number one between Roger and Rafa. Mm, Maybe. In the race to London, Nadal has already qualified. (laughs) Okay. So, we don't have to worry about that. He's almost 3,000 points clear of Federer in number two. Number three is Team, four Stan, five Zverev, six Novak, seven Mari, and eight Goffin. And it's only because of the French Open results of Nole making the quarters and Andy making the semifinals that those two are even in the top eight. Because they had been down the list for a while. In the road to Singapore, Simona Halep is number one, Pliskova is number two, Svidalina is number three, Ostapenko is number four with a cool 2,000 points from the French Open. Wozniacki is number five. She's now squarely in the top 10 in both rankings after having a good year. Mladenovic is number six. Seven is Venus and eight is Kanta. And we talked about this on the previous episode that the players that were at the back end of the French Open on the women's side were the players who had been playing well all year. With the exception Mm -hmm. of... Kanta at number eight. Right. Halep, Pliskova, Svidalina, Wozniacki, Kiki, Venus, they all factored in the round of 16 and beyond. Yep. Man, it just feels all kinds of good to see Nadal at number two again. Think about where we were in 2015, being somewhat teased with his return to form in 2016 before being Mm. injured, and then the Olympics coming and just turning everything on its head. Because if the Olympics weren't there, he may have taken more time to recover mid-season, and the the rest of his year in 2016 could have looked totally different. And so we started 2017 not really knowing what to expect, because he took the rest of the fall off. We've since learned that he was not going to come back until the wrist was fully healed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he shows up at the start of the year and makes the, the Australian Open final. And we get this throwback final with Federer. And then he proceeds to just march through the clay court season and totally annihilate the French Open field. And now he's number two in the world, number one in the race, and possibly, who knows, a multiple slam winner in 2017, year and number one. Like These things are distinct possibilities. It's crazy to Mm. me that Nadal still has possibly yet another great chapter to write in his career. We're going to close off this episode with number 10. And number 10 is James taking a quiz. Really? Can you guess what this quiz is going to be about? Rafael Nadal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't know the subject beforehand, and therefore I have not studied. So, uh... As usual, some easy, some harder. Okay. You should do well. I feel like... I feel like... I know Serena better, so I'm worried because there are some hard questions on that one. Number one, Nadal has beaten six players in Roland Garros finals. Who are those six players? Okay, there's Puerta, Federer, Djokovic, Ferrer, Borinka, 
And Soderling. Yep, those are the six. Puerto Rico 05, Federer, four times, 06, 07, 08, and 2011. Soderling in 2010, the year after he beat Rafa in that fourth round. Mm-hmm. Djokovic in 2012 and 14, Ferrer in 13, and then Wawrinka this year. Nadal has made 22 Grand Slam finals. Can you break that down by slam? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so... Uh, well, there's 10 at Roland Garros. Uh-huh. There were um, four at Wimbledon. Are you not going to give me a yes or no? No. Oh, okay. So I think that there were four at Wimbledon. At the U.S. Open, he won two. Um, I think there's four at the U.S. Open. How many? That's 18. Okay, so I'm going to say 10 and then 4, 4, 4. That is partially correct. How is it, How could that be partially correct? Because he had 4 at the Australian Open, 10 at the French Open, 5 at Wimbledon. Oh, shit. Because he lost two finals oh, before. Oh, and he lost one to Djokovic. He lost two before beating Federer. I was in counting the two Federers in 06 and 07, but I forgot the Djokovic. In 2012? Yeah. Prefer to forget that. And then 3 at the US Open. How okay. many how many Masters 1000 titles does he have? Um 31? 30. Mm, okay. How many finals has Nadal made in 2017? Oh, oh dear. Okay. If you need to talk it out loud. Yeah. Okay. So Australia, Acapulco, Miami, um Barcelona, Monte Carlo, Rolling Girls. Was there one like some January? I'm going to say seven. There is seven. Yeah. Was the other one like. I'm not going to guess, but just tell me. You're missing one of the clay court events. I believe it's Madrid. Yes. Yep. Nadal is 43 and 6 in 2017. Who are the players who have beaten him this year? He's what, 24 and 6? 43 and 6. I Sorry, I wasn't listening. Can you do that again? <laughs> because you were on your phone. <laughs> Nadal is 43 and 6 in 2017. Who are the players who have beaten him this year? Well, Sam Query, obviously. Mm-hmm. Roger Federer, three times. Dominic Team, And, uh... Um, I don't... I don't really know. Milos Raonic. Oh, right. To start the year. Yes, okay. How many ATP Tour doubles titles does Nadal have? 11. Yes, that's correct. Oh. In what year did Nadal first reach world number one in singles? 2008. Correct. Nadal has won 73 career singles titles, good for sixth place all time in the Open Era. Name the five players ahead of him. Okay. Connors, Federer, Lendl, mm, Sampras. No. Don't look at my finger that I'm trying to... I'm tabulating these <laughs> on my you, finger. Why do you need to count to five? Um, oh, um, McEnroe 
And Velos? You got four of the five. Okay. So Connors is number one with 109. Yeah. Lendl, two, 94. Federer is third at 91. McEnroe is fourth at 77. Rod Laver oh, is fifth at 74. Really? Is that open era? Open era. Oh, geez. And then Nadal is sixth at 73, with Novak seventh at 67. So it's possible within the next few months, depending on how the rest of his year goes, Nadal could, he'll definitely eclipse Laver, who is one ahead of him, and then Johnny Mack is only four titles ahead of him at 77. This one, I didn't know. I didn't know that this had happened in Nadal's career. He's made the semifinals at a Grand Slam in doubles. The 2004 US Open. Who was his partner? If you think through this. Yeah. Um, Carlos Moya? No. You didn't really think (laughs) through this. Well, obviously it has to be a Spanish player, right? Okay. You know he's going to play with a Spanish player. Juan Carlos Ferrer? No. This person is still active. Tommy Robredo? Yes. Okay, my third choice. <laughs> At 15 years and 10 months, Nadal ranked 762 in the world, won his first ATP match defeating this player. Oh, God. No idea. Ramon Delgado. Okay. So that's that's the quiz. I did okay, I guess, right? Yeah, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thanks. That brings us to the end of our La Decima Extravaganza. Thanks for listening, everybody. Share your thoughts uh, in a review, on Twitter, on Instagram, slide into the DMs. We are at the Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's, and I'm Jonathan at Tennis underscore John. Do you think I should change mine to Tennis James? <laughs> or would that be like super lame tennis john and tennis james yeah no 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 <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna say no <laughs> first we have to find out if it's available yeah i'm not gonna do that you're definitely not gonna no, do it no no <laughs> let us know what you think if that's some what about tennis jimmy mm, even less <laughs> tennis jim no just no okay <laughs> till next time <laughs>